Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 148 of The Cool Room. Uh, it's your old friend David Griffiths here, just quickly welcoming you to the show before we get underway with what is a great interview with Jimmy from Goodland. I won't spoil any of that right now, uh, just a quick reminder that if you're wanting to make the most of the episode, you need the right beers in front of you and you can get them from our online store, just Google Cool Room Shopify, and uh, go to the Goodland tab, you will find some great beers there, uh, the ones that we'll be talking about. Check out the rest of the store while you're there, we've got some great pre-orders on some Fun Deeds beers at the moment, uh, we've got our Weinstefan 10-pack, 10 different Weinstefan beers, it's a popular one every year, uh, we don't have a huge amount of that stock, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, get over there and get your orders in, it helps to support the podcast and all that we do. And don't forget to follow us on social media and rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Uh, great ways to show your support and we greatly appreciate that. Uh, okay, without any further ado, let me introduce my good friend Warren Wu and we'll get underway with today's episode. Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 148 of The Cool Room. Can you believe we're almost hitting 150 episodes? Uh, make sure you come and join us for our live broadcast, or at least our live recording, uh, down at Bonehead Brewing in Kensington, uh, episode that we're really looking forward to doing. Uh, great supporters of ours down at Bonehead. Hopefully we're great supporters of theirs as well. We'll all gather together for that day and um, have a great great time together speaking of people i have a great great time with mr warren Wu. you and i already had a great great time together drinking a pot of beer on our way to the virtual cool room tonight it's lovely to see you virtually as well as physically today yeah it was yeah it was nice it was good uh thanks to the folks down at the Duda gala for, for putting up with us sitting there being quiet drinking a beer yeah, I was going to say, if that's um, the worst that ever happens to them, they're probably not going to, you know. No, it's far from the worst, and we all know that. Uh, yeah, a big thanks to Chris Bond, who claims that he was the one behind brewing the stout that we had at the Oh, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, shout out to Chris. Did he brew it, or did he just suggest someone else brew it? He claims he brewed it, I think you mentioned, but, oh, well, whatever. It's an um, all-corgi-powered it beer. So. Yeah, it's a corgi-powered beer. Um, enough about other places and venues and all sorts of other fun stuff, because we are very pleased to announce that... Oh, before we announce that, um, for everyone playing along at home, get your stout out now. Um, let's just get that out of the way. I think, the I think out get the your stout out now. There's get the your stout out. It's already out. been decided. I totally remember that. That's yeah, it's good. Good night for stouts. Um, before you do what you're about to do, Warren, I think you've do you've dodged the issue here a little bit, and I'm willing to put my skills to the test here and put my name on the line, because what you've said by saying get your stout out now is you have avoided trying to pronounce the names of the beers we've had tonight. Oh, I'm going to get my shame and embarrassment as a North Bendagonian out of the way early. So the three beers we're drinking tonight, we've got to get better at telling people at the start of the podcast what we're going to be drinking. We'll be drinking the Lager, I believe it's pronounced, Lager, the Ratskeller, and then we're going to move on to the Geselig. Now you get to introduce our guest and he can correct my pronunciation on every one of those beers. So from, from uh, Good Lab Brewing, we are very excited to have Jimmy, the founder, 
and and all things good lad there. Uh, how are you going, Jimmy? Yeah, good guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to be. Great, great, yeah, great to yeah. have you. That's yeah. Awesome. You did uh, not too bad on the pronunciation. Um, the uh, I think the <laughs> Gazalig is as close to the Aussie way of saying it as you can get, which is <laughs> everyone that comes in says it a different way, which is awesome about our beers. They get called all different types of things, but you always know what it is. Uh, but the, the way to say it, if you were uh, over in the Netherlands, you'd say Gazalig would be the proper way of selling it. Well, oh. <laughs> As, uh, as, a, yeah. as a, someone of Welsh descent, I admire the amount of phlegm that's going to require. We'll see how we, uh, oh, how we yeah. go by the end of the night. That's a hard pass on giving that a go. <laughs> uh, no, it's a good one. We um, uh, have a bit of fun with it at the brewery too, um, with people coming in, what they call it. So, no, it's good. And it's going to be, that's going to be a really good conversation. I think we'll come back to that idea and, and uh, the names and the, the kind of the background behind that as we move along. But um, for a start, would you like to give our, let's start with the brewery. Um, what should we expect if we, if we venture all the way out to East Traugat? Traugat, if we venture all the way out to the eastern parts of the great state of Victoria, to Eastern Trelgan, what would we see? Uh, so we are situated in a little industrial estate, um, not far from town, but still close from town. There's a Bunnings across the road and a McDonald's and all the traditional industrial estate things that you have. Um, <laughs> we're a little white shed, um, sort of tucked down the road a little bit. Um, we the, the bar itself, we open on Friday afternoons and Saturday afternoons, so we get a good sort of crowd on a on a Friday and then it's all the all the families and stuff coming through and and um, a few others on, on a Saturday but um, we only we hold around 60 people so it's only a small sort of place but um, to walk in through the doors you sort of you walk in um, to straight to the bar uh, we've got 12 taps um, and it sort of keeps going a, a little bit which goes towards our brew house so you're sort of you're almost sitting in the tanks mm -hmm. um well as close as you can get to the tanks but <laughs> yeah in the brewery so it's a nice and it's the way that we sort of wanted to have it was you know you come and have a beer in a brewery and you're in the brewery you know Some, something a little bit different terrific yeah um so 12 taps are they all are they, they've all got your gear on them are, are they 12 good lad taps uh 11 taps and then we've got a local cider as well oh awesome yeah, yeah. yeah. Who does yeah. the cider? Can give it. You can give a shout out. Yeah, Glengarry Inn cider. So it's made by a winery uh, called Narcoogee in Trelgan. So they do our. Mm. Oh, they they make the cider, and, and we've got it on here. Yeah, awesome. yeah. But when when we first opened, um, it took us a while to gear up to the to get the all the taps full. We first started off with four taps, which were the first four beers we released, mm -hmm. and then um, we slowly installed a few more taps, and then we. Had, had a, um, a couple of guest taps on as well, which we feature every now and then, um, mainly other Gippsland breweries, including Bandelier, Sailor's Grave, Ocean Reach, uh, Borough. Yeah, so we've had a few other other guys on as well. Um, what brings you to the eastern side of the great state of Victoria? Why why Gippsland? Why Trelgan? Uh, what, yeah, what, what made you settle there? Oh, I'm a Trelgan boy, <laughs> born and bred here. <laughs> Went to school here, mates are here, families here. So it was always 
it was always one of those things that, um, you know, once I sort of did work out that this is what I wanted to do, I wanted to do it here for, you know, to have and enjoy with, with all the family and friends and, and bring them all along for the ride. Plus, uh, you know, when we were a bit, well, when I was a little bit younger, when we didn't have this, it was one of those things that you're always, geez, how cool would a brewery be? Or just somewhere decent that has decent beer, you know? Mm. So it was one of those things that I always was keen on having. Thanks. Um, you've been to other places too. So born and bred in Ferelgan, but, but seen a bit of the world. Um, where's your journey? Where, what, what, tell us about the beer brewing journey, Jimmy. The beer brewing journey. So I don't know. It, I, I've thought about this a, a few times or, and trying to work out how the story sort of started. But what um, I studied in uh, Wodonga, studied engineering, and um, we used to drink, as you did when you were studying then, whatever you could find was the cheapest at the time. <laughs> you know, you went to the back of the fridge and whatever was on sale or whatever. And I remember that was back in 2003. I remember the first of the James Squires then. And yep. you used to be able to buy, they are, well, I remember them, they had this mixed six pack. Um, and you could get, they had the, the spades of, what was it, the porter and they had the, they had, you know, the whole series there. Yeah, um, like we've had the amber and the, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of, I would say that's the first sort of, you know, when I was like, oh, there, there is different beer, you know, you can try different stuff. And then fast forward a few more years and uh, me and a few mates went on a trip to Canada, snowboarding trip. And um, that was probably the first eye-opener into, wow, like you walk into a bar and there's 12 taps serving local beers, beers from the other side of the country, IPAs, stouts, all, all these different types of beers that you traditionally, or well, especially in Trelgan, it's not something that you would normally see in a pub. Yep. Um, so we tried heaps of beers while we're over there. And then um, when I got back, that was... Um, you know, just started researching, looking through books, read magazines. Um, I remember watching the brew, uh, no, who was it? Um, Dogfish Head. They had that documentary series. You remember that one? The Brew Masters, I think it was called. Um, yeah, I remember like that was yeah around that sort of 2008, 2009. I remember just putting it on repeat and watching those shows and going, how cool is this? You know, the beers they were making and how much fun it was. Um uh, yeah, so that was one of those things and I was always, um, yeah, it, that's what got me sort of mostly interested. And then from that, I got a, a homebrew kit, the old Cooper's homebrew kit for Christmas that year because <laughs> I was watching all this stuff and, um, yeah, it sort of went on from there. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Now, Warren, Warren, I'm going to cut you off here because I know what's going to happen. You're in your let's ask all the questions from the rest of the questions uh, mode, and we're not going to talk lager if I don't say, Warren, yeah. let's talk lager. Yeah, let's talk about the lager. I was just thinking that. I was thinking we need to talk the lager because I've almost drank it. So let's talk <laughs> about the lager. We better talk about the lager. We better talk about the lager. Lager. The lager. So, so, <laughs> so the lager, um, it is it's made part of our core range. We've got three different beers in the core range. Um, this is probably... This and our pale ale would be our more flagship, um, what we make the most of. Um, and the lagers, yeah, a big seller here at the tap room. Um, it was, 
you know what? It was. It's funny that the lager ended up our core um, and our and our big seller. It wasn't something. You know, you go back five or six years ago when I was you know, really solidly putting the business plan together. There was no lager on the list at all. Um, it was initially this beer was going to be a Kolsch or like a golden ale type thing, okay. which we brewed um, oh, on the home brew kit a hundred million times to get it perfectly spot on. And um, it was probably only about two months before we opened the doors, we changed to a lager. Um, it was a beer that we didn't get to test run before we <laughs> brewed it. We just went, you know what, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, this is, this is her. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's. Uh, well, well, what, what, what made you, what made you change your mind? What absolutely. You, it's the a few weeks, but yeah, the obvious, like, <laughs> yeah, like you've got, you've got something set. You've got something ready to go, tested it. Apart from anything else, you've got a business plan. I think it's the first time. <laughs> We're 148 episodes in. I don't think we've heard the word business plan business before. Plan. <laughs> I wouldn't really call it. It was a bit of, it was a scrap bit of paper with a few things scribbled on it. Don't try and back down now. <laughs> nah, um, it, oh, it was more, I suppose, um, where to brew for the local market, I suppose. Um, it was one of those things that, you know, the traditional brewery that opened up, you have your gold nail and all that sort of thing on. Um, but, you know, you could see that um, there was a, a few good lagers coming out at the time. And I suppose for that little bit of difference, which it isn't really that much different now because everyone's um, got a lager or, yeah, it's, yeah, it's there. But it's, I suppose, to be able to go into like a local bar or a pub and try and sell a beer um i think that was sort of part of the decision as well um as well as who doesn't love drinking a nice crisp fresh lager uh, yeah. yeah 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 absolutely yeah uh, <coughs> I've, i might just quickly go back to the taps uh what have you got on the moment what what would people expect when they walked in on tap uh yeah. what have we got on we've got uh so we have three core range the good lager pale ale and our session xba Mm-hmm. We've got our house IPA, which is in the pack, and the pastel on sour. Awesome. Optical. Uh, we've got man on the moon, which was our or is our um, uh, chocolate vanilla milk stout. Oh yeah. Um, we've got rat scholar, hundreds and thousands. Our hazy IPA. Uh, good to the grave, which was a collab we did with Sailor's Grave as part of our first birthday celebration. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I like collabs with Sailor's Grave because their beers are out there. And then when you get someone who, who's kind of, yeah, who isn't as quite as eccentric as them, they, they yeah. usually have interesting collabs. So what was the collab you did with it them? It was a, a dark rye farmhouse um, uh-huh. ale that we brewed with pink peppercorn and pink grapefruit. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's, and it's, yeah, it's, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a cool one we did with Chris and Gab. Um, uh, we brewed it on their system over there with them. Yep. Um, but we'd been in yeah chats about that one for a while. But yeah, it's a uh, cool beer. And then we got Popsicle, we got Gazellig, and the the cider. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. That sounds like a great little selection. That sounds like a fascinating little selection. All right, back to the lager. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
so so now that i've finished it um brewing the lager is so what all right so the first time you did it first brew we did was on the it was the first brew we did on the big kit and it was the first brew that we'd done of this of this lager yeah first of everything wow yeah, now obviously you yeah. brewed a bit of lager beforehand. This wasn't mm. a total experiment. A uh, little, yeah, not not huge amounts, but we yeah had played with lager over in Europe and that sort of thing. But um, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> it worked, <laughs> so I was happy. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we so the base malt we use in this is all one hundred percent Pilsner Voyager malt. Mm-hmm. Um, We've actually, every time we've brewed this lager though, we have slightly, very, very, very slightly changed the recipe, which I think a lot of brewers do anyway. Um, but um, it's it's one that we sort of slightly tweak a little bit here and there as as um, every time we brew it. But we, we are supposed to be that little bit different to try and suit more the Australian um, taste. So we brew it with a German yeast strain as well. So it's more of a German Pilsner style of lager yep. um, than, than like your know, American style lagers. Um, but we use for our hops, we don't use any noble hop in it at all. Um, we use uh, Hugh Mellon and just a little bit of Enigma as well, which is sort of like our Australian twist on it. Um, gives it gives it that sort of without being too fruity uh, and too spicy and that sort of thing. It gives it just a nice sort of melony aroma and 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 um, taste. Yep. Yeah. Uh, how long how long does it stay in tank after you? Is it one of those? Is it is it true the style? Do you leave it to to stay in tank for a while? Yeah. It it we try and keep it in tank as long as we can. Um, it like it. For kegs, we always keg fresh off the tank, so it stays in tank. So sometimes it'll stay in there for a lot longer than the other ones, but and then sometimes a little bit shorter. But we try and give it the time that it that it needs just to develop and um, you know blow off a few of those those compounds and stuff that you don't you don't traditionally want in a lager. And and um, yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, I think now would be a nice time to move on to the second bit. Um, so I think you're probably right. Yeah, so we've a bit of a cracking pace there, but people can obviously pause if they listen to the podcast version. Uh, we don't expect you to keep up with everything that we're doing. Good excuse for me to put the cat out because uh, I have no other family members at home tonight, so I've left the door open and the cats come in. <laughs> so there you go, right on cue. That wasn't a little audio edition. Warren, why don't you lead the way on the delicious rat's keller while I put this cat out? Ah, yes. And I'm just going to handball that one straight to Jimmy. Like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, tell us about the rat's color. So, so barrel age Pilsner. So on the, they're still, still on that Pilsner lagery line. Um, yeah. What, what do you, what's the story behind this? Why are we barrel aging a Pilsner? Um, like this is so. This is one we did uh, again for a part of our birthday. We did a series of collabs: um, one with Sailors, one with Carl and Sellers, and another one with um, Two Crows in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular one was we'd been talking with the guys at Carlin for a bit, and it was an idea that we sort of both come up with that we wanted to. Well, 
it was an idea and then we sort of just grew on it from there. But I suppose it was to try and almost push into the more traditional-ish, like a Czech lager that was barrel aged, you know, lagered in oak um, and sort of run with that idea, I suppose, from there. Um, so yeah, it took like, there was a little bit of to and from and, and um, working out exactly how, what malt we were going to use and what um, mash profile and all that sort of thing. And um, we actually ended up doing a seven step mash with this one, which wow. fortunately on our brew house we can do. Um, it was explain to us, like, yeah, explain to us why seven step mash is. Seven yeah, step mash. So, <laughs> um, we on our on our saisons, our lagers and stuff, we'll yep. do multi step mashes um, yeah. in aid of a, of a number of things. But this particular one, we were looking for um, a really dense, nice, foamy head, um, and it's a it's a trick that. I had got from um, other brewers over in Europe that um, they they would do. Um, rather than do a decoction mash, we'd do it this way. Um, so yeah, it sort of stemmed from there. So it's it's more about um, the head and um, trying to get that really creamy, smooth um, head on the beer. Yeah, that's what we were we were pushing for with that one. Um, and this one we used uh, 100% organic Pilsner malt from um, Stu over at Voyager, mm -hmm. um, which really lends into the the um, the. I find that that malt you get a, a lot more honey-ish, like it's a little bit sweeter. Yep. Um, and then we ended up so with the barrels we looked for um, some white wine barrels just because obviously cheaper than buying fresh oak at the time. So we end up, we we're going to do this sort of wine, ex-wine barrel age thing. Um, and it took us a long time because at the time there was COVID and there were shortages on barrels and everyone was reusing their barrels and we couldn't find anything. But we ended up by chance, we, and it actually worked out really well. So there's a cooperage in Morwell, which is the next town over of all places is a cooperage in Morwell. Yeah, so um, that, yeah, was, and the guy, he had come in, uh, Glenn, who owns that, he'd come in like that week that um, we were desperate for these barrels. And it just so happened that he had, yeah, these wow. wine barrels he was getting the following week and yeah. it just worked. And now we've got this relationship with a local cooperage, <laughs> which, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah really cool, really cool. So um, do you know where the wine was and, you know, what grape yeah. was used and so forth? Is it? They were um, Catnook Estate in Coonawarra, mm -hmm. uh, ex-Chardonnay barrels. So uh, they were truck, um, trucked over fresh uh, from South Australia. And I think, yeah, within sort of 48 hours, we had them filled from when they had them emptied. Um, so it all, it all, everything just worked out really well, actually, with that beer. Um, is there another thing? Yeah. Perhaps there's things I don't understand, but is there a reason why all these barrels sort of suddenly turned up from South Australia on that day? Is that that common, or no? Nah, he so he, um, well, he's a, he's like a barrel broker as well, I suppose, and he said that um, he had approached. Well, they're always looking for barrels, and he'd had these 
lot of white wine barrels coming in. Um, it just was a matter of when they were available. And I suppose he just goes in and buys instead of them having to sell 10 here and five there and one there, he just buys the whole lot of them. So he bought 145 of these barrels um, that they were done with. And yeah, then he on sells them from there. Um, our mate Corey, who's in the cool room, uh, yeah. put up a really cracking question and a real, uh, that's one of the things you can do when you join us, you can ask questions. Uh, yeah. And I really like, what was the pills like pre-barreling? Well, yeah. What'd you have? Yeah, what, what did you have before you chucked in a barrel? Uh, like what was the beer like? Yeah. What was the beer yeah. like? Yeah. Um, so we brewed a, uh, it was about six and a half percent Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's a, the, the organic malt that we used in that. Um, we used Halatau and a little bit of Huel Melon in this one, um, but brewed it a little bit stronger just because we were going into barrel mm-hmm. and just wanted to ensure that we sort of didn't get, we didn't want to push too much of that infection side of it. Yep. End up pushing any, any wild bugs or anything. So we brewed it a little bit stronger. Um, it was, we've actually got uh, a 30 litre keg of it left we sort of kept the keg to top up the barrels and then um uh yeah so we've still got that beer here which we were sort of like i don't know what we're going to do with that but we'll put it on tap here one day when we've got when we've got space so it's it's sitting there but yeah no it was it was a nice beer it was just a little bit stronger than what we were looking for but with the barrels the intention was always to um blend the beer back a little bit with our lager so We'd brewed it stronger to age in the barrels. And then once it was done in the barrels, we did a taste trial. We got the guys from Carwin down here. Um, again, we were originally, it was only going to be about two months in the barrels because it is such a light, delicate beer. It wasn't one that we wanted to push too long um, and push too much wine flavour onto it. Um, so, yeah, but in the end, it was four months it stayed in the barrel for so we were on the sort of three two and a half three months we were tasting it weekly um and then yeah about four months we were like yep this is this is done this is about the oakiness that we want out of it and we did a few trials uh, just blending on the table of some fresh lager our with the barrel aged until we sort of worked out you know the right consistency and we also, once we blended, we ended up blending about, I think it was about 15, 20% fresh lager back into it. So, and fresh, it was uh, like fresh, fresh lager. Like we'd only just put it on cool. Um, and then it went back into stainless and we dry hopped that beer with some fresh Halatau around one and a half grams a litre. Again, just to sort of give it that little bit more of an edge. Um, and then we left it in tank for about six weeks before we package that one up Great. Um, just in time to release for our first birthday. Now, everything you've described there is like a beer nerd's paradise. You've got all of this knowledge, all of these sort of skills. Let's go back to young Jimmy and let's talk about how you've actually acquired all of that knowledge because there's plenty of brewers that we have on who can't talk with that amount of technical detail. So, Let's go back to the very first craft beer that you ever had. Can you recall maybe what it was or where it was? Um, I think, like talking before, like the the James Squires, um, 
it was like I can't pinpoint the the right ones, but I, I just remember you could buy the six pack of the mixed ones, and it was just they they were different. Um, and it was almost the first introduction to Coopers as well, because I had a couple of mates from South Australia that did the same course as me in Albury um, or in Wodonga. And they were just, that was all they drank, you know, and it was the rolling the bottle on the table and that sort of thing. And I was only, I was only 18 then. So I had no idea about it, that, that that was even a thing, you know? So I suppose that was always a bit of an eye opener, but it wasn't until that, um, that Canada trip. And I remember buying a, bottle uh what was it called it was called um the abominable snowman from here, here we go that wasn't the answer i was expecting i promise you but yeah you see <laughs> something it's a little bit outside the norm yeah yeah that was one that we'd got from canada um oh what was the brewery um something works but that was one that was like you know that was wow you know and it was in this it was in this 750 mil, 500 mil bottle, screen printed bottle, all colourful. So that was the first thing was, you know, that was 2008 we were over there and um, we'd just ne- never seen anything like it, you know. Um, and that was really what pushed, you know, and start starting to having a look into beers because then I remember getting like the Rogue, they used to do the donut beers and all that sort of thing as well. And, and you know, you used to try all those different ones. But, um, and then even going to, from Trelgan, you know, we go up to Melbourne every now and then. We used to go to the Little Creatures, um, uh, the, the beer hall, you know, they had there and that, that sort of thing. And it was from coming from Trelgan to go to somewhere like that was, um, yeah, it was always one of those things that this is just cool, you know, why don't we have... And especially going over to another country in Canada where it was it was almost the norm that that there was all these different beer and different taps and local breweries and things like that where we just at that at that time we just did not have anything like that, you know, especially this way of this side of Melbourne. Absolutely right. So you then went to Canada, you've toured around a number of places, um, bit of Scotland. We had 71 brewing from Dundee on with the last sort of one of these sessions that we've had. So tell us a little bit about your journey overseas and where you went and what you learned along the way. Yeah. Well, I suppose when I first, if you go back to the home brew days, I remember um, one of the, I think it was the second or third home brew I'd ever done. And it was, you know, you always scavenge and collect all the old bottles and you'd clean them out and do all that sort of thing. I think it was the second brew that I'd done. I did a, like a little creatures pale ale clone. And um, I remember I'd kept all the bottles, kept taking the caps off. So, you know, without damaging the caps, redid it all. And looking back now, the beer was probably absolutely rubbish, but I remember taking it to a mate <laughs> and um, we were sitting around. I bought this little creatures and oh, I bought these beers. You want to try? Oh yeah, yeah, no, I've had that before. Yeah, it's good beer. And we're sitting around, had a drink, had a beer, sitting around drinking them. Yeah, oh yeah, this is good. You want another one? Yeah. And I was like, what do you think of the beer? Yeah, no, I've had little creatures. This is great. I was like, well, that's not their beer. That that was mine. I brewed that. No, no, you didn't. You did not. Yeah, I did. And then it was, you know, from that point, that was like, um, oh, this is great. You know, brewing beer and getting to see people enjoy it. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things that was that was yeah that really sort of drove the passion for it, I suppose. Absolutely. Make total sense. Yeah. So from there, um, I started looking into brewing courses. I think there was the, um, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember. There was a couple of brewing courses at the time. Um, 
there was I was doing a lot of home brewing, talking to homebrew shops, um, having a look. There was at that time there was probably just less than a hundred breweries in Australia. Um, so it was, and there times was no have changed. Times have changed big time, and it was one of those things that it was it was quite hard to even find a job in a brewery then um, because there just wasn't the breweries around. Um, but I actually started buying stainless steel dairy tanks back then. And um, I had a whole stack of them, which I ended up selling. It's a long story. but This, um, this is why it's good to live in the country. Like, I guess <laughs> yes. in the country, you can just sling them out yeah. the back shed. Sort of <laughs> exactly, thing. exactly. Um, but, yeah, so it, the more and more I looked into it, it was without having the commercial experience, I suppose, it was always going to be. And, like, you can do it. Um, people have done it and it works out well, but it was one thing I wanted to learn how to do it, how to do it on a commercial scale before I did it myself. But yeah, um, so I had the opportunity to go over to Scotland for a number of years. And first thing I did was um, look up every single brewery in Scotland and send every single brewery in Scotland an email and say, can I have a job? And uh, from that, I had two job interviews and ended up with a job at uh, Stuart Brewing in Edinburgh. Um, yeah, so... And what can you tell us about them? Stuart Brewing. So they're the biggest independent brewery in Edinburgh. Um, in They're just out of Edinburgh in a um, suburb called Lonehead. So when I first started there, we were in this shed that was um, about a quarter of the size of the shed that I'm in now. The brewery ran uh, 24 four hours a day uh, and it was a again a dairy tank brewery that um, the owner Steve Stewart had, had built himself um, electric fired 2000 litre brewery we used um, uh, we bought Simpson malt that was already pre-milled so we'd buy it direct from Simpson's they'd mill it um, we'd have to so doing 2000 litre batches it was all um, hand mashed in where this huge big mash paddle you'd have to shovel the grain out at the end of it um like literally get in there with gum boots and shovel it out into back into 25 kilo malt sacks and throw them over put them in the wheelbarrow take them out the back the kettle we um uh used all whole hops all whole flowers so everything was whole flowers so that would mean that um at the end of the boil you'd have to jump in the kettle and um, shovel the hops into a bag, throw the hops over, and then hand scrub the kettle. Um, and this was every brew. Uh, yeah, so that was like we, yeah, it was it was um, a lot to get a brew through the system. But the place had to run twenty four hours just to keep up with the demand. We had open square open top fermenters. Um, we used to re pitch our yeast using um we had a dustpan shovel that at the end of the brew we'd put brew on cool transfer it to a bright tank um and we'd literally shovel the yeast off the bottom of these square fermenters into buckets that we would re-pitch for the next brew and um but it worked and they made some really good beer award-winning beer predominantly cask beer um <laughs> so it was probably uh, 85 percent cask beer um and then the rest was bottled uh, and then by the time I left, so we moved to another another um, building, and that was part of the part of the deal was with the owner there, Steve Stewart, was because um, I'm an engineer. 
it was um, if you can help me move the brew house and install the brew the new brew house and get everything up and running, I'll teach you how to make beer. So that was <laughs> the deal. So yeah, we moved. So we went from that place um, to uh, a place just down the road. Put in a five thousand liter Hungarian built brew house. Um, so it was a big step up. Um, and uh, yeah, got it all installed, and then um, we made made good beer. But by the time yeah, by the time I left there, we were sort of doing more around the sort of forty percent keg um, bottle, and then yeah, cask. But they're doing a lot more, uh, yeah, a lot more cask and stuff like that over there. So yeah, a lot lighter beers than what I suppose. Like our IPA was a four point four point two percent. IPA, more the English, you know, everything was very English, very English. And um, yeah, but it was great. Like <laughs> the best thing about living in Edinburgh was there's two pubs on every corner. So you'd catch the bus, I'd catch the bus to work, catch the bus home. And I think there was about 13 pubs from the bus stop to my house. <laughs> um, so <laughs> you could all, always had to test the beer, you know, make sure the beer was still good, pour it right all the way home. But uh, um, yeah, so that was that was funny. Well, while you're reminding me of Edinburgh, uh, I should say because I've got some of our friends from uh, who are big Vault City fans in the room tonight. Got the option of getting some more Vault City beers in soon, so uh, I will reach out to all Vault City fans uh, very near in the future to see if you guys want to come and get some more Vault City beers. Uh, but you've obviously got that sort of you we've got Netherlands named beers and so forth here you know is there what's the influence there and you know can you tell us a little bit about that before we move on to the next beer yeah so our well um my last name's Krippelberg and Dutch background uh, I've got family over there and um after after Scotland I come back home uh, it was around 2015 and I was ready to start a brewery then and um, you know, started dealing with council, started trying to find somewhere. No one likes local government on this show. <laughs> oh, that were fun. Apart from me, you know, I've got a bit of affinity <laughs> for it, but yeah. You know. Um, you know, and realised I didn't have enough money, didn't have enough time, had nowhere to put it, all that sort of thing, and um, uh, headed back overseas again. And I pretty much did this, had the same approach, I suppose, as the. Edinburgh was um let's look up I think I emailed about 85 breweries in the Netherlands until they answered me <laughs> um and yeah I ended up with a job at um De Molen in uh Bodegraven, which is just out of Amsterdam um so it was uh I had a couple of interviews and what they were chasing at the time was they had so many barrels um uh filled with beer that they didn't know what they had anymore. Basically, it got to that point. They were just filling barrels, filling barrels, filling barrels. And they had this huge big hole and they needed a barrel manager. Um, so, yeah, I went over there for a job as a barrel manager. And the day that I turned up, uh, the head brewer had quit to go to another brewery. So one of the other guys stepped up and then um, they said, oh, do you just want to be a brewer instead? So... I ended up <laughs> with a job as a brewer there um, and we ended up just splitting the barrel managing between there was uh, four of us brewers there. So it, yeah, it, that, um, 
that that worked out well too. So yeah. so a committee a committee always works well in any yes, situation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now we've had we're going to have a little break here in a moment just so people can get their glasses ready for the uh, for the gazelling. But the uh, the question we've had a couple of questions in the chat along the way, and I'm particularly fascinated to know as this beer has changed in the glass a bit, can you take us on like a little bit of a tasting tour of how we should be experiencing it now, particularly in terms of the aromas and the flavours we should be getting, and perhaps a little bit more of an explanation about the, the barrels. We've had a couple of questions in, in the chat about, you know, how much of the wine was still there, how wet it was, um, because I agree there's a, there's a really sort of lovely, in my opinion, wine overtone to it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it was, look, the, originally we were going for just pure oak. Um, wanted to showcase that um, the the more, like if we were to brew a beer 100 years ago in Prague and have it lagered away, what would that beer taste like? Um, and that was originally what we were going for, but... Um, because we did use the white wine barrels, we're always going to get that white wine overtones coming through. Um, we, I suppose, beer, like having it in there for that extended four months, um, it, it did pick up a lot more oak, than, which is what we were looking for, but it also got that, that wine flavour, which you're always going to get, I suppose. You, you um, age something in a barrel that held whatever it held before, you're going you're gonna to get a bit of that flavour carry across. Um, it does the the well. What I I get from the beer anyway is a lot more honey, like vanilla and honey from the oak. But then you do get that that sweet wine, um, that sweet wine on the back of your palate, like almost like not the Chardonnay, but almost like a Sauv Blanc type, you know, crispness that you get from it. Um, so yeah, it's still like it's yeah, just a bit different, I suppose. Is Absolutely. That, is that what you would would you agree? Oh, for me, I'm almost getting some of those, some of the wines that I really like, some of those more aged Marsans and things like that coming through yeah. as well. So yeah. I really like those sort of flavors of yeah. a of an older white wine where you almost start to get that, and not everyone loves this terminology, but that sort of kerosene petroleum type flavors coming through yep. uh which i love in an aged white aged white wines are particularly from australia are hugely underrated i think um yep. but i'll also bow to mr warren's uh palate on this one because he's by far the more experienced taster of such things no i think everyone yeah i think both of those all those all those things make sense like they're all they're all there it's like yeah it's surprisingly complex what started out probably a relatively simple wine is is yeah there's a lot going on in that glass and the, the as you mentioned david the change that it goes through as it warms up is really yeah is is just mind-blowing it's terrific um, Let's take this as a little opportunity, perhaps, just to press pause for five minutes so that people can clean their glasses and get ready to go with a gazellig. And um, we will come back officially, let's say, 7.30, just to make it a nice round number. 
Well, we're back here in the courtroom. We've had our little break just so we can refresh ourselves. We've had little chats that you can only find out about if you join us here live on Thursday nights. Uh, We're so grateful to the brewers who come along and be part of that. To Jimmy tonight, a big thank you. We know it's a bit of an imposition, uh, but we get to uh, have people interacting with brewers from all around the world. We've got some great brewers coming up, uh, but let's concentrate on good land right now. We're moving on to, well, what I'm calling the gazelle, but I know that's not right. Where does the name come from, Jimmy? Uh, so the name gazelle uh, is a Dutch name. It's one of, those, one of those words that doesn't have a direct translation, um, but the sort of around about, it means cosy. So you would say like... Yeah, you went around to someone's house, you know, what did you do last night? I went around to such and such house, had beer and watch TV. You would say you had a gazelle time. We're opening this delicious beer. Let's talk us through right from the very beginning. Can you take us on a little tasting tour? Imagine we're all sitting down in a little gazelle bar together <laughs> and um, talk us through what we should see in the glass, what we should be smelling in terms of the aromas, and especially what we should be tasting. Uh, so this is, um, yeah, basically one of our first Imperial Stouts, uh, or second Imperial Stout that we brewed first that we'd done in barrel. Um, the actual base recipe that we started off with was um, hell of a lot of roast malt, chocolate malt, and then we actually had a little bit of brown malt that we had, again, Voyager, um, custom um uh, do for us, uh, yeah, custom do for us. So it was just just that, which we've used in a couple of different brews. But um, yeah, so the beer itself before it went into barrels was around the sort of uh, ten and a half ish, you know, high ten mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one that we brewed just just for barrels, just for barrels. So we got we end up getting what do we have seven six. We have, sorry, five barrels of this one. Uh, it's made up of X Heaven Hill and Buffalo Trace barrels. Again, these were fresh, like proper fresh. Like there was, like I think we could have tipped them upside down and filled the bottle fresh type of thing. Um, so it was one that ended up in barrel for about 10 months. Um, it, it, after that 10 months, it like the, the barrels were so fresh that, and it was amazing the contrast and the difference in between the Heaven Hill barrels and the Buffalo Trace barrels and what we we're actually getting and then what this ended up as because it ended up a blend of um, one Heaven and three Buffalo Trace. Can, can you give us, before you, before you go any further, we've got, you know, not just our famous Norwegian listeners, lots of people listening in from Japan at the moment. Tell us a little bit about the, the places those barrels are from and, you know, what they do. Just give us a bit of a spruik for them as well. And perhaps that might explain why the, the lineup of the barrels fits together like they do. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> well, we got, uh, so we we had an importer from South Australia got these barrels over for us. Um, but the, the barrels themselves are all uh, bourbon um, mm. and... Um, they were, well, coming from the stamp marks on the actual barrels, we can't 100% see, but the Buffalo Trace ones were 
had uh, bourbon in them for eight years and the Heaven Hill ones um, didn't really have much going on on, on that side of things, but yeah. Interesting to know sort of, you know, how it all fits together and particularly for overseas listeners, we sometimes talk about, you know, venues like that or uh, producers like that, I should say, without sort of explaining who they are. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, uh, yeah, the, the, the barrels themselves, we ended up um, actually one of the barrels, which this beer isn't, but when we were filling the barrels, we got to the last one and we only, we were filling up and it got to about 60% full and we ran out of beer. So the tank, we had no beer left to put in it, but it was 60% full. But we still had some of our, at the time, well, later on, we had uh, Christmas night, which we brewed last, last year for coming up into Christmas, which was a dark Belgian ale. Um, so that barrel, we actually topped off with this Belgian dark ale, which was about, I think it was 7.8% or something, um, topped it off with that. And that was the one that we released coming into Gabs, which was, we just called Heaven because it was just a single Heaven Hill barrel. Um, absolutely amazing though, that beer, like, but one, could we recreate it again? I don't think so, <laughs> because it was just a blend of what was left over and what we had, but it was rather than spoiling a barrel or tipping it out or, yeah, we ended up just topping off with that. So that, that worked out really well for that, for that beer, but that's not this beer. <laughs> There's a lot of people typing in the chat with us right now that they really want that beer. I think I feel the same way, but let's, <laughs> let's not bog down on what we haven't got in front of us let's talk about what we have got as, as soon as i opened the can at arm's length i could smell in the air the flavors coming through talk us through some of those aromas if you can a little bit more than perhaps we have we've spoken about the processes yeah but you know for, for yep. newer craft beer drinkers who bought this pack yeah what should they be experiencing what flavors should they be doing? um it's a lot of a lot of bourbon uh on the nose definitely with um like there's just a touch of touch of coffee a touch of oak if you if you a touch of oak and the like the oak vanillin if you're looking for it. Um, but I find that the like the bourbon isn't too intense that it takes away from the actual beer itself. Um, there's enough there, like you said, you get a good nice whiff of the bourbon. Um, it adds to the 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 alcohol warming, I suppose. The beer itself before it went into barrels, it was, it was a bit more boozier tasting, I suppose, like, but not, not hot or not, not too out of control, but it definitely settled down a bit, but the bourbon, almost the flavor of it, 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 it gives you like a nice, it gives it just a nice drinkability, mm. even though it is such a big beer. Absolutely. Yeah, that, and and that, I love point. it. It's a massive, massive beer, but it doesn't like there's a lot of elements to it, but you could still it's still comfortable to drink. Like you still feel yeah, it's just still an enjoyable drink, even though you when you put it to your lips, you just go, Woof, this is gonna yeah. be huge. Yeah. And it is like it's a sweeter, it's a sweeter beer as well. So it was brewed to be to have that finishing gravity where it would be a little bit sweeter on the finish where it, so it, it didn't end up because it was spending that time in the barrel. The last thing you sort of want is it for it to, um, to, to dry out or to do anything too dry. Cause you do yep. get that, you know, you get that thing with barrels sometimes and it just, it, 
it dry it but feels like it dries your tongue out like someone's put a hair dryer on your tongue and it just dried it out completely well this one we sort of you're always going to get a little bit of that from the oak but we finish this beer quite high um just to retain that 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 caramelly sweetness but um still have the alcohol there that it it does give you that nice warming effect with the the bourbon behind it it's just yeah nice smooth rich creamy caramelly yeah now my apologies if i've missed this but we spoke when you were talking about the previous beer about how you judged when to pull that out of the barrel Mm -hmm. similar process with these or were you constantly tasted on the way or were you just confident about where it would finish up um no we i tend not to um with the with the stouts I think you just need to give them the time they need and then have a taste and see what it's like. It's not something that you want to be tasting every month just to see, just to taste it. Um, but that's just me personally. Um, but this is one that we waited until about eight months before we tried it. Um, and at that, that point, must have taken some restraint. That's what's coming oh, through. Oh, big time. <laughs> big time. <laughs> big time. Because it's one of those things that like, especially as our first barrel-aged beer, like what, what's actually going on in there, what's happening, and I hope the beer's still all right. Um, and it's in the middle of our, our tap room as well. We've got the beers all on show. They're just there, like you're literally sitting right next to them. Um, fingers and toes crossed that the beers are all right. But, um, you you're no, never, we... <laughs> not, even, not even late at night leaving, you never sort of just pulled the bung nah. out and just had a little sniff-sniff? Nah, nah, nah. They stayed sealed shut, nah. And it's one thing as well. The other thing is like, uh, like at the Molen, like we had a range of um, upwards of 700 barrels on site at any one time. And we'd do barrel blends where we're blending 50 barrels together to get what we want. And sometimes you'd open those 50 barrels and from that you'd be tipping out four of those barrels because of, infections or because it wasn't right or it soured or it's too dry or or whatever so um one of those things was just leave the beer let it do its thing don't touch it because you touch it you end up with you don't know what you're gonna bring you know to the party <laughs> that doesn't need yeah. to be there. yeah so that was that was um yeah that just needs it needs a time and being like a first use because the barrels were so wet um it was always and the beer is quite sweet it didn't need a hell of a lot of time it didn't need that the the well it was still a lot of time 10 months um but yeah it was it was at the right time ready to pull well um, was there anything that the, so so was there anything you took from this process and they're really different beers so they might not be anything at all but is there anything you took from this process that you that you used in their rats keller beer like when is is there any tips and tricks you 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 kind of you kind of took through so whether or not it's managing the barrels or 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 kind of the process or filling yeah it's... um we not not really i suppose i don't know you sort of you you know so you, you learn things and you see and you just you just do <laughs> yeah <laughs> sort of a little bit like that um we uh yeah, I suppose like with the bourbon, it was aimed for as fresh as possible. Yep. 
Um, with the rat scaler, again, aim for as fresh as possible, but because we were steaming the barrels, um, we were always gonna hopefully kill off anything that was yeah, there, yeah. Um, but try and, and, and rid some of that, um, those flavors and stuff. And like, we literally would steam the barrel and then fill it like straight away. So we had, the, we had a hose running through the brewery that we cobbled together out of lengths of stainless pipe that we had laying around, a couple of bits of hose and stuff. So the barrels were outside. We'd steam them for about half an hour and then um, yeah, bring them straight in on the rack fill. Um, so yeah, I don't know. One of the one of those things you just it yeah you just do and it does. <laughs> Would you do it again? Oh well, not not obviously not the stout. I'm just thinking back to the rat's color. and this is yeah, dwelling on that a little bit. Um, I would like I would like to do it again. Um, I would like to actually do a fresh oak, but ferment and lager in the oak. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, in fresh oak, but fresh oak's worth a lot of money too. So. I was going to say you are—you've uh, obviously <laughs> the, the Dutch Royal Bank or someone. Has no, no, you. that's why we've got the old. We do the Scottish way. Use the old <laughs> barrels, <laughs> the cheap old ones. No, nah, no, nah, one. It, I would love to be able to do something like that, or even even like a fooder, you know, that was um, not tainted. Um, you know, something that could be fermented in left to condition to lager and um, let it do its thing. You know, that, that, that would be something that I would love to be able to do, but yeah, I don't think we're going to be buying one of those anytime soon. Um, but yeah, that, and like with the barrels as well, like we, I think it's important to, well, everywhere is different as well. Like you, some places will keep their barrels in um, temperature controlled rooms. So is it the beers, at a stable temperature, it's whole way through conditioning and aging. Um, I like to leave them in the barrels and let them experience the full elements of each, you know, and in Victoria, we're kind of, we're a little bit more special down here because we do have the hot days, the cold nights. So the barrels, you know, they're alive, they're breathing, they're open and close and open, close and open, closing. And over that 10 month period, you know, if we were to do that same beer again, but brew it, on the opposite side of letting this one, you know, this one and it's 10 months majority over summer. If we were to do one majority over winter, would it be a different beer? I, th I think it would be, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it does change. And, um, but it's also a good thing to let the barrel breathe and let it do it, let it do what it needs to do. I completely agree. I think I was really ignorant around that for a long time until I started to speak to people about how they made, particularly their bourbons, but also gins and things, particularly in yep. the US, in that sort of that part of the old part of the country where there was moonshining. So up around Detroit, where again, you have that same sort of temperature pattern of part of the year is quite humid, part of it's quite dry, yep. hot days, cold nights, and you want that liquid moving in and out of the wood as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that's what contributes to, you know, a lot of the flavour. And and the beer, that, like, you know, it does oxidise over time too. So you do get a lot of that that flavour um, coming through. But being such a big beer, it hides a lot of that. Um, but, yeah. But, it's like, yeah, it's letting us do its thing. And even in the Netherlands, like, it didn't get that hot there. So the barrels were always still quite cool where... Um, 
we just returned from uh, California a week and a half ago and um, went and visited uh, Bottle Logic while I was over there. And their barrel hall, again, they had uh, 200 odd bourbon barrels and rum barrels and that sort of thing. But the amount of beer that was on the floor, just because they get such intense hot days there and hot nights, you know, it doesn't get that chance to cool down. So the barrels are just leaking all over the place, you know, type of thing. But um, that was what they let them do. You know, you let the barrels do what they need to do. And, and um, yeah. That sounds yeah. a bit heartbreaking for all of us that know what's actually leaking onto that floor. But, you know, it would have... <laughs> It smelled, it smelled delicious. I was, I was nearly ready. You could have licked the floor. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was like Willy Wonka's land nearly in there. No, it was. See, yeah. I was going to go with that joke, but I'm glad. I was going to say you wouldn't lower yourself <laughs> for such things that I would have, but no, I'm glad. Oh, you when you, first. when you can smell bourbon and oak and beer and, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Mark, who's also in the cool room for reminding me that we should ask the cool room question. Uh, traditional guru question for you, for you, Jimmy. Um, so the, how do we put this again? So the, the most amazing, weird, disgusting, smelly, explosive thing you've seen in a cool room. It doesn't uh, have to be all those things. Just yeah, one any, of those. Anyone and all of them, all of them would be amazing. All of them would be terrific. That would be William. Oh, but, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and when I say cool room, it doesn't have to be in your cool room. It could be, or uh, someone else's cool room. It could be in brewery, pub. Oh, look. Oh, well, I've seen some Edinburgh. I saw some nasty pubs there, uh, cellars. It was quite, in Edinburgh, actually, the, the like majority of the pubs, the cellars are underground. And um, to deliver the the um casks there because it's all all handful stuff it all goes down to the cellar um but everything is rocked from a height like sometimes the cellars are four meters high wow. backing up and um dropping casks of beer you'd have a mat big mat filled with they're almost like a hessian sack filled with hay type of thing dropping it from about four meters high but um yeah it's awesome um, there was a few nasty accidents over there, uh, but they, uh, yeah, fortunately none with me. But um, nah, nasty that, for humans or nasty for beer? Uh, nasty for humans, yes. Yeah, oh. no, we saw that there. We don't want to see that on the no. uh, car. So, <laughs> no, it's, um, for, no, for all of our friends at WorkSafe, we love the fact that you listen in, <laughs> and uh, we can't wait for the sponsorship because we just won't stand no, for that kind of thing. No, that's why. That's why we're in Australia. We don't have. Um, you know, <laughs> Jimmy, you probably don't know the Hardiman's Hotel in in <laughs> Kensington, but a whole bunch of the people here would. Um, yeah, their their uh, their cellar is is on. It's only like a meter and a half from street level, but yeah, yeah they push it onto a bag, which looks like some sort of a, Olympic. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just flops onto the back. And then you roll the keg into the keg fridge. Um, it's quite beautiful, but yeah, it is. it's, it's so cool to see when you see it for the first time. You don't think that it's yeah, it should yeah. be done, but it is. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. Don't you have a trolley or something? You can take it out of <laughs> some ramp to put it into the. But not just push it off, and it falls in. Yeah, I've got to say, don't you have a trolley? Would be a good name for a t-shirt <laughs> that we could market to here. Well, a few well. t-shirts this um podcast. We are, we've never made one, but we'd love to talk about we'd it. We'd love to <laughs> love talking about it. One day we should try that t-shirt. Uh, yeah, well, what else did you see in, in those infamous 
Edinburgh. Let's not talk about local ones that we might get. Ah, uh, yeah, by. we can talk about we can talk about ones in Edinburgh. Oh, we would um, uh, because I'm sort of the engineer background. If there was a pub that had an issue with a tap pouring, we'd get caught. You know, I'd get called in, and I'd either me and Steve would go down there, and sometimes you'd go down there, and there'd be like it'd be almost like a scallop growing off the 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 beer fob and and stuff like that and, and they're wondering why the beer tastes funny and yeah but um there's some nasty nasty sellers out there that you yeah people just and, and where does inform us because we've had a we've had like a number of sort of you know german breweries on a number of you know rest of Europe, but tell us about you know behind the scenes in the netherlands and what are the what are those breweries like is is it sort of that german level of cleanliness uh or is it a slightly more you know catch and kill your own approach in the netherlands um no i would say they're very like the the craft guys are very similar to here we um the where de molen is the heineken factory is um like oh, 20 minutes down the road and um the my boss or the guy that owned uh de molen he absolutely hated heineken with a passion, absolutely <laughs> hated it. And one day we had um, some contractors in doing some work when we were getting some new tanks installed. And at the end of the day, they'd gone and got themselves a six pack of Heineken and they were sitting there drinking it. And he walked over and um, took the beer off them and said, You cannot drink this beer in my brewery, <laughs> which um, yeah, was at the time was pretty funny. But no, nah, look, there's some really really great breweries over there really really cool we're actually heading over there in uh what is it about a week now um so they have a big festival at De Molen, the boris festival uh international so there's about 40 breweries heading over there we sent a pallet of beer over there and uh along with boat rocker as well so we're going over next uh for our, uh when are we going next monday not this Monday coming up, the next Monday going over there. We've got a couple of collabs lined up with a few breweries um, over there. And then we've got two-day big beer festival at the Molen. Oh, so, wow. yeah, that's going to be good because since I left, like I was there in 2016, but since I've left there, there's been a whole stack of new breweries open up over there that yeah, it's going to be great to be able to taste some of their beers too. How, how would your beers fit, yours and Boat Rocker's beers fit within that festival? Like, what, what will you guys, but will there be, I'm assuming there's other New World breweries as well. But are you guys a bit out there? And am I, am I kind of, yeah, I suppose it helps get a picture of the, the local beer scene over there. Um, no, it's because it's an international. They've got breweries from uh, the UK, from Sweden, from Poland. US. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, so it was one of those things. Like they did a um, a collab with uh, Boat Rocker last year. Was it last year? Yeah, last year. So that was sort of their connection because there's another brewer over there, uh, Emily. She's an Aussie working there as well. Um, but they'd sort of arranged that collab, and then yeah, they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to go, and um, said they wanted another brewery, and yeah, they got Boat Rocker to come along too. So it's, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that sounds yeah. incredible. Yeah, so it's going to be good. Get to showcase. We've taken, uh, I think, six different beers over there. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. Can you tell us what you've taken? Uh, we've taken the Gazelle. We've taken Yazika, which is another barrel aged uh, imperial stout we did with coffee and vanilla. 
Uh, we're taking The Heaven, um, Popsicle. Uh, we did a we did a sour. So the sour that you guys have got, the pastel neon sour with apricots and peaches. We did a double pastel neon sour, which was seven percent with double the amount of fruit and vanilla and marshmallows and all the good stuff. So we did that. That's heading over there as well. And there's one other one, Ratscala. Mm. Yeah. We're going to move on to audience questions in a second, but I've got to at least ask one more of my own, which is, you know, having been in California, or at least in the US, uh, and heading back over to the Netherlands, how do you get back to Traugen in between all of that? I mean, it, it must be sort of like a bit of a whirlwind whiplash kind of experience to set up a brewery during COVID and now sort of be over amongst those enormous breweries and enormous sort of places in the rest of the world. Yeah, definitely. We, um, oh, it's, yeah, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was always the dream to have the brewery here in Trelgan. So always wanted to have it here, the family, the friends, the whole works. Um, but, you know, as from, it's funny from, like if I had started the brewery back in 2008, 2009, when I was like, yes, I'm going to start a brewery. This is what I'm going to do you sort of look back and go, oh, geez, I wonder what things would have been like then, you know, just what um, what I've seen and be able to learn and the people I've met and the connections and all that sort of thing, you know, it's a lot more, I suppose, mature, if that, yeah, a lot more on decision-making and, and what beers we're going to make and how it works and, and, and that sort of thing. But, like, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, we want to make good beer um, we want to make beer that people are going to drink and going to love. And at the same time, we want to be able to play around and have that, have that little bit of playfulness where we can experiment and play around with, say, a barrel-aged Pilsner and get people to try it and drink it and go, you know, that was, that was good. It tastes, you know, it tastes good. That was, you know, so um, to be able to go back to the Netherlands as well and, uh, like, on the... <laughs> I sent over a heap of extra beers for the guys. So when I get over there, we can drink a heap of our beers too <laughs> over there um, with, uh, with the other brewers. So it's going to be a good catch up with those guys too. That sounds awesome. We love the fact you're going to be there. We love the fact that you're going to be pushing the Cool Room podcast as Australia's leading uh, craft beer podcast regardless of what the statistics might actually say. No, I think it actually proves that. That's even more bizarre. We're going to open this up to audience questions. I'm not sure, Jacob, whether you're there or not, because I can only see your still screen. So in Is the Jacob meantime... Jacob asking more questions, by the way? Is it like this? Yeah, we should just call this Jacob's Question Corner and just do it. Well, no, I think we're going to call it Muggs's Question Corner. Muggs, I believe you're not familiar with Goodland. This must be really exciting for you (laughs) to encounter them for the first time tonight. (laughs) Unmute. You've got a couple of ripper questions, mate, and far from being new to it, you are a great ambassador for this uh, brewery and you've encouraged us to get them on. So please ask your questions, my friend. Um, I can't actually remember the questions. That doesn't help. Um, you, you, you had one around brown malt and one around what oh, yeah, uh, exactly. Jimmy learnt at De Molen, just to help you. Well, so the one, the first question was like the whole brown malt scenario. 
the um, brown malt scenario is actually the name of my new band, by the way. <laughs> Not the t shirt, like, the band. Why, why would, um, what's the, the, the idea behind adding that to a stout? Because, my, I mean, a lot of people sort of steer clear, mm. especially um, to that sort of style of malt to, to make it like, you know, an imperial stout or whatnot. And so, you know, what, what's the, the, the logic behind that? Yeah, the brown malt. Um, so we, um, I feel from the brown malt, um, it's, it's colour. Like we get a lot of colour from the brown and the chocolate malt, um, but it's the the caramelly sweetness that it gives the beer at the end as well. So, where particularly with this beer, we brewed quite high gravity, um, knowing that it wasn't going to dry out fully. Um, so, the brown malt helps with that side of things. Um, it's not like a crystal or a caramel malt, but because it is the imperial stout. I find that you just it just gives for a nicer mouthfeel um, and helps with that side of it from from the barrels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks, Dave. Um, Jimmy, you sure that's not a Scottish name? <laughs> we Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, you spent a fair bit of time over there. I just, yeah, they would have loved you for that. Anyway. They did. They did. Um, they couldn't understand me the first three months I was over there. I couldn't understand them, though, either. <laughs> 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 it was a language of love, which is beer currently. <laughs> um, no, that, a sensational session. Thanks so much, mate. And I tell you what, your beers are blowing me away. Just um, so complex the last the, the last couple, at least, you know, that we're trying. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll get to my question. Stop talking too much crap. <laughs> um, branding, mate. Um, we, we'd love to talk about this on, on the call room. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the branding itself, the concept, and and who does your can art? Like um, I was just mentioning before on the chat, um, with with, with your um stout. Good luck taking photos with that. You know, with, yeah. the, with the gold and and so forth. And it's a lot of beer photographers out there that most probably hating you at the moment. But yes, <laughs> that's true. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll shut up and let you answer some of those questions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, our branding, um, we like that. So not to talk about the art, I'll do the art second. The branding itself, we've um, we've tried to keep everything in line with uh, what we want to do. So it it's not that the, the, the actual cans themselves, it's as minimal as possible with a lot of art and a lot of, a lot of colours, but it's consistent across from the core range to um, to the limiteds, um, as and as well as like all the all the signage, all our merchandise, um, everything else. We try and keep in that same vein. Um, all our packaging, all that side of it, and then going to the cans themselves, the artwork. So all the artwork um, is all hand painted uh, on canvas. So every single every single can is um, hand painted. My sister does all the artwork, um, so she's done uh, all of them. And even if you so the good lager can um, is a reverse of our art. So the actual logo, although it just looks red, it's actually uh, red painted canvas. So if you have a nice close look, you'll see that there's a canvas 
um, detail really close but it's there um so we've sort of done that on the flip side where it's it's that's our core and and to try and keep that as simple as possible but to keep that that flipped element there and then our limiteds are um again just consistent but have that that, that nice the nice shiny artwork that looks good but the what normally happens is i've got a beer um, I come up with a beer, I come up with a beer name and then um, I ring my sister or I message her and say, I've got this beer name and this is what it's called and uh, I feel this colour and this and that and that and she paints something and we put it on the can. Oh, that, that's sensational. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah with your pale ale, that hasn't got any reference to Golden Beach going fishing up that way, is it? Or? At the 90 mile golden beach yeah, yeah yeah that's that's the exact one that's the one that uh me and my mates spent plenty of time drinking beers going fishing at night over there that's where that name come from <laughs> and for everyone on the podcast i'm putting my hand up too i spent a lot of time up that way doing the same thing yeah sea spray was where i used world. to lurk so that was sort <laughs> yeah. of my equivalent up there so yeah and the sea spray uh, uh surf lifesaving club have it on tap Oh, do they really? Oh, oh. Yeah. Gee, that's a good excuse to go up there. <laughs> what what, what about the Woodside Woodside Beach, Mugs? They've got cans, but Mugs is going to get us on tap out there, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll shut up and let, hand it back over to David. I'm going to hand it straight <laughs> over to Warren. So there's quick handballs. It's, it's finals time here in Australian <laughs> football. Uh, all the more quick hands are good hands. We're going to kick a goal here, Mr. Warren. Wrap us up. Um, thank you very much, Jimmy. That was amazing. It was it was informative and enjoyable, and and just yeah, the beers are terrific. Um, thank you very much for your your time and your and your your great attention to detail and your knowledge. Um, it's been a really fun session. Uh, if people are going to find you online, uh, where would we find you? Uh, goodland.beer. All right, www.goodland.beer. And I'm sure there'll be a link to all your social media from there. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. It's been, yeah, it's been good. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Been awesome. You've, uh, you guys have followed through. We love the fact that we've uh, got you on. We've been waiting for a while. The beers have lived up to every expectation we've had. We've got five other beers in our tasting pack still available on our Shopify uh, and we're probably going to turn off the recording now, which is always a good idea, and sit around and have a sip. Jimmy, you might be able to stick around. You might have to go home and do other duties, whatever you might have to do. But uh, we're so grateful for your time tonight. And we're going to finish recording right about now. Thanks, guys.